Okay, so last week we finished up uh, the Daniel's final vision, which ends the book in chapter 12. Um, and the book ended giving Daniel and us hope of God fulfilling all his promises, uh, even when we might not see that fulfillment in our daily circumstances. Um, Daniel was given a preview of God's future purposes, but his primary task in the present was to live now for God's glory. Our part is to persevere in faith and trust. So today we're going to do uh, something a little different. Um, rather than focus on a particular chapter or a passage, I thought it might be useful to, to do an overview um, uh, a final overview of the book of Daniel that traces some of the book's key themes across the book. So um, rather than focusing on a particular passage, we're going to look at um, verses from all the different uh, chapters um, and to sort of see how these themes unite this division between the first six historically focused chapters and the final six um, apocalyptic prophecy chapters. So, um, the book started, uh, if you recall, way back in September, um, by establishing a historical context um, of how Daniel and his companions were taken in exile to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. And then the book ends with Daniel still in exile um, by the, the river Tigris, um, uh, even though a, um, a remnant had returned to Jerusalem under Cyrus by that time. So the book's central message is rooted in that experience of forced removal from the land and temple of God and being forced to live in a, um, uh, a hostile culture, uh, a culture that um, sets itself against God Almighty. Um, but as we look at the book as a whole, um, uh, the book of Daniel, a product of exile, serves to show that the exile was not to be permanent, Rather, the very nation which conquered Israel would itself disappear from history, followed by another empire, and then another, and so on, and so on, and so on. But God is at work to establish his permanent kingdom uh, in a time after Daniel. So um, I want to start by, let's look at uh, the second verse of chapter 1. Because um, I think this verse establishes or introduces um, the central kind of conflict uh, that runs um, throughout the, the chapter and its chief uh, theological conclusion. So in verse 2 of chapter 1, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and his hand is Nebuchadnezzar, um, with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and place the vessels in the treasury of his God. Um, so this single verse captures this contest between kingdoms that, again, uh, runs throughout the entirety of the book. Um, the kingdoms of God, uh, try, or kingdoms of this world, trying to assert their superiority over God. Um, as we see Nebuchadnezzar doing here, he's asserting his superiority over the God of Israel by taking sacred vessels from the Jerusalem temple and placing them into the temple of his own God. Yet Daniel, in this verse, is also clear that it's Israel's God allowing Israel to be taken into captivity. It's God who has, um, for punishment of their sin, that has raised Nebuchadnezzar up and, and um, allowed him to take God's people away. So even though the people of God are in bondage to a heathen nation, God himself is sovereign and the ultimate disposer of the destinies both of individuals and nations. So this is the first theme I want us to sort of take a look at, um, seeing how Daniel emphasizes God's sovereignty throughout the book. Um, so I'm going to need lots of volunteers to read. Um, so can I get somebody to read Daniel 1, verses 17 to 20? All right, Ryan. Um, Daniel 2, 20 to 23. Mike? Uh, and it, can you read verse 47 as well? Um, so 2, 20 to 23, and then 2, 47. Uh, Daniel 3, verses 28 and 29.
him. Uh, Daniel 4, verses 34 to 35. David? Uh, Daniel 5, verses 18 to 23. Scott. Uh, Daniel 6, verses 25 to 27. David. Uh, Daniel 7, verses 13, 14. Tim. That was a very sheepish hand right there. Uh, Daniel 8, verses 20 to 25. Uh, Daniel 9, verses 13, 15. Uh, Daniel 11, 36. It's one verse, come on. <laughs> and then Daniel 12, verses 1 to 3. All right, so let's read them all. And again, my point isn't to focus on any one passage in particular, but just sort of let the impact of all these passages roll out, and then we can talk about them. All right, so let's start. Daniel 1. Daniel 3. Daniel 4. Daniel 5.
Great. Daniel Sick. Thank you. Daniel 7. Thank you, Daniel 8. Daniel 9. Daniel 11. Great. Finally, Daniel 12. All right. So um, having heard all those verses read throughout the um, spreading the breadth of the book, um, yeah, what, it, what lessons do we come away with about who God is um, from these verses throughout the book? Yeah, Ronnie. Okay, so God has, has stated he will do things, and, and then those things happen. Um, and again, um, it's the way that uh, in, in Daniel's prayer in particular, like he trusts that the people will be returned from exile because God's promise to punish them and send them into exile was kept. <laughs> so God's faithfulness in the past, you know, he, you know, he did what he said he would do, 
weaves hope for the future, God will do what he says he will do. Um, and especially sort of thinking about, it, it was hard to pick single verses from those last chapters without like having to read the whole chapter, but like he's laying out, as we talked about when we read chapters seven and eight, or seven and nine and 10 and 11, um, that there's this really specific description of future events told in detail that all of that comes to pass just as God revealed it would to Daniel. So this is a God who, when he uh, writes something or decrees something, it, it happens. Good. What else? Yeah, Dave. Yeah, I have a friend in Mississippi who says it in a quaint Mississippi way. God strikes straight blows with crooked sticks. Um, you know, you know, and, and we see, like, when we talked about, you know, Nebuchadnezzar or all these other kings and Antiochus Epiphany, all these rogues that think they're setting themselves up against God and that they're, um, you know, again, think of that first act by taking vessels um, taking people into exile, into Babylon, um, he's accomplishing uh, one up on God. But instead, um, God decreed that, you know, God raised Nebuchadnezzar up for the purpose of carrying his people into captivity for their sins. So he thinks he's doing something independently and of his own superiority to God. And yet, as you say, Dave, like, He's, he's doing exactly what God wanted him to accomplish. Um, and even when uh, Nebuchadnezzar does these other things through the book, you know, setting up that idol um, that represents um, his name, um, that, that is creating this opportunity to get Nebuchadnezzar to say, as, um, as we, we heard read, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is the one who says there is no other God who's able to rescue in this way. So, you know, repeatedly we see these um, people take actions, um, and particularly rulers, take actions to establish their superiority and show their greatness and their sovereignty. And time and time again, we're shown that whatever power they have, whatever independence they have, is given to them by God to work his perfect will. Yeah, and it's this great, we, we get a lot of, um, Daniel's a really good book for understanding um, how God reveals himself to his people. Um, and, and Daniel gives us a glimpse of the kind of visionary process 
over and over again. And Daniel is always clear. It's, it's God who gives the vision, and it's God who gives the interpretation. Um, and it, the, the vision and the interpretation are true because it's God who's spoken them. So um, the revelation of future events, again, isn't um, so much to help um, you know, provide a roadmap for somebody to follow. It's there to help demonstrate the, the power of God. It's there to help communicate something about God's nature. So the very process of revelation um, and this giving of visions is a way of God demonstrating truths about who he is, you know, demonstrating his glory, not revealing it because he has to, um, but revealing it for his purposes of demonstrating his, his glory um, to us. Yeah, Tim. And to establish an everlasting kingdom. And again, as we think about the book of Daniel, especially like these prophetic um, depictions of future history, like, uh, I mean, we talked about in chapter 11, it was just like, you know, to hear that long chapter 11 read aloud is like, you know, and this king rises up and he falls, and this one, and this one, and this one. And it's like, you know, amidst um, the chaos of the kingdoms of this earth. Um, and, you know, Daniel and his companions are experiencing that chaos, having been dragged from, you know, by their kingdom being conquered by another kingdom, and that kingdom gets conquered by another kingdom, and then it's going to happen again and again and again. That God's at work to establish an eternal kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that's not limited to one particular space in ge human geography, but a, a a rule over the entire earth uh, will be established with this promised coming of the ancient of days. Um, no. <laughs> um, I mean, I, you know, because he, he says he's going to establish his kingdom, um, you know, and uh, so hold on, let me pull the specific language of that. Um, you know, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all the peoples, nations, and language should serve him. Like, just from that, it's not saying that there's going to be a second God. He's going to say he's going to rule over his eternal kingdom through this coming Messiah. This, this ancient of days is going to be established. And it's later, you know, we'll find out that it's God taking on flesh. Um, so I would say in that passage itself, they wouldn't read it as, oh, there's going to be a second God um, that's going to come. Uh, you know, it's going to be, no, God is going to take on flesh and, and rule over you himself. Uh, other things, or um, as we think about this theme of, of, of God's sovereignty, so we talked about, oh yeah, David. Yeah, and especially uh, I think the the chapter five episode with with Nebuchadnezzar is is a or 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 chapter um, uh, or chapter five with uh, Belshazzar. I mean, um, you know, who's having throwing this party and like you know, going on his merry way and doing whatever he wants, and and meanwhile Daniel you know reminds him of 
Nebuchadnezzar, the hard lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learned in chapter 4, where God takes his sanity from him and makes him live like a beast until he acknowledges his um, who is really supreme <laughs> in this this world, um, and and it's only you know his sanity is only restored when he humbles himself. And 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 Daniel says to Belshazzar, "You've not humbled your heart." And um, that very night, his kingdom and his life is taken from him. Um, uh, so yeah, it is a great portrait of of what the psalmist talks about there. You know, the raging of the nations where the real um, power is in the hands of God, um, who laughs at, at these kinds of plots and machinations of men. Um, and again, it's instructional for us because it's easy to get caught up in the plots and machinations of men. And again, it, to think back to chapter one, um, Daniel and his friends are being wooed um, by this, you know, um, uh, by this worldly kingdom that's trying to establish itself as a rival to the kingdom of God. Um, they're trying to be uh, culturally indoctrinated, um, and and they're having to um, trust in the sovereignty of God to help them um, resist the temptations to buy in to all this kind of exercise of power in this world. And I think especially, um, well, I mean, we see it in, in multi, not just in the historical part, but like we saw a lot of the kind of internal court politics, like, you know, all those guys trying like, you know, the king, head of the king's guard coming and bringing Daniel forward, look who I found <laughs> who can interpret your dream. Um, or, you know, the kind of backstabbing, you know, where the guy's plot against Daniel to, to, to get him um, uh, to fall in um, disfavor with Darius. Um, and, you know, all this kind of plotting. And then later on in the book, we see, you know, when Antiochus comes, that there are Israelites um, who are prophesied will follow him, that, you know, they'll be... Um, captivated by his deceitfulness and his treachery, and they will um, sell out uh, as, you know, as it was. Um, whereas Daniel and his friends are, are presenting this message and encouragement to, to trust in the sovereign God, that he will act on the part of his people and deliver them um, and um, protect them amidst these situations. Yeah, and we see that in Daniel's um, prayer of thanksgiving in, in chapter 2. You know, he acknowledges this. Um, verse 21, for example, um, he changes times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. Um, so, you know... Um, and then later on, you know, Daniel acknowledges, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. And we see later on um, in the text, uh, again, this emphasis on, you know, the, the wicked will act this way, but the wise um, will, will trust in God. Um, and, and Daniel here is acknowledging it's God who's gifted him um, with the skill of interpretation, and it's God who is the source of wisdom. Yes, Jim.
Yeah, and, and again, as Daniel, you know, that long prayer he has in, in chapter 8 acknowledges, it's not our faithfulness. You know, it's, it's not because your people have kept the covenant, but because you kept the, kept the covenant. Um, you're faithful. And that you have the, the power to save and deliver your people. Um, and, and, and does. And we see it in individual circumstances, like with um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, saying, you know, uh, God can deliver us from this fiery furnace. We don't know that he will, um, but he can. And if he chooses to do so, you know, he will. Um, but even that, so, we're not going to bow before you. Because, again, this image of uh, there's only one to whom we bow down before. And you can either bow down in, in uh, humility and um, acknowledging his glory, or you will be bowed down, uh, as you say, in, in subjugation. <laughs> but, you know, you, you can bow either willingly or forcefully, but you will bow. <laughs> uh, Jay. Absolutely. And did I plant you to, I didn't plant him, but he, he's hitting the point. So this is where the pivot. So, you know, Daniel establishes this, the truth of the sovereignty of God, that he's over kings. He's the one truly sovereign. Um, I still remember Paul's great summary of this. You know, like the lesson is there's only one God and it's not you. Um, you know, that, that idea. Um, but then, you know, this turn, like, how does that enable, encourage us to live and act? Um, and so if, if one central theme of Daniel is establishing this theological truth of God's sovereign power and the, um, the superiority of his kingdom over all the kingdoms of the earth, um, the second message or the kind of um, application message that we see throughout is encouraging his people to stand fast in their trust to this omnipotent God, acting faithfully and praying hopefully. So um, uh, quickly, um, to look at some of these passages that capture um, this how do, we, how do we then live kind of aspects. Um, so uh, uh, volunteers again, uh, Daniel 1 verses 8 through 9. Thanks, John. Daniel 2, 17 through 19. Uh, I saw Scott first. Uh, Daniel 3, 16, 18. You can have that one, Tim. Um, Daniel 4, 24 to 27 and 37. 24 to 27 and 37. Thank you, Dave. Um, Daniel 5, 13 to 17. Mike. Daniel 6, 21 to 23. Thank you, Ronnie. Daniel 7, 21 to 22, and 27. Tim. Uh, Daniel 9, 3 to 5. Dave. Uh, Daniel 10, verses 2 to 3, and 11 to 12. Dana. 
Daniel 11, 32 to 35. Thank you, Mike. And Daniel 12, verses 10 to 12. All right. Uh, let's start. Daniel 1, 8 to 9. Chapter 2. Then Daniel went to his house and ate the sufficient nourishment for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might speak virtues from the God of heaven concerning his people, so that Daniel and his companions might have praise for the gift of the wine and fasting. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Chapter 3. Daniel 4. This was the interpretation of the interpretation of the decree that was passed in my sight on my Lord's day, that he shall be taken from the Mashiach and his royal family and taken to the third kingdom, and shall be made to stand on the Mount of Sacrifices before my Lord and his kingdom. And seven tables of brass were found for him, which is one of the hundred and five tables of the Daniel 5. Then Daniel was brought before the king. He answered and said to Daniel, Do you understand the words that I pronounce this evening? The king, my father, brought you here. I heard you that the kingdom of God is in you, and that light is appointed in that decree for my family. Now the wise men who attended the king brought to him before me read his writing, which was revealed to me in the interpretation, so they could not show the interpretation to me. Daniel 6. Daniel 7. Daniel 9, 3 to 5. Daniel 10. 
Daniel 11. And finally, Daniel 12. 10 to 12, yeah. All right, so um, these passages that I've kind of picked forth focus on um, human actions um, and it's getting to um, that issue that Jay raised. Yeah, you know, I acknowledge the sovereignty of God and like, you know, um, uh, assent to the truth that God reigns supreme, but the difficulty is how does that <laughs> um, prepare me how to live tomorrow. So what are some of the actions or what are some of the things, instructions that we get from these passages about how then shall we live in light of the truth of a sovereign God? Yeah, Mike. Yeah, and this emphasis on, on prayer that you know, as soon as the, the Daniel hears from the guard in chapter 2 that he and his friends are going to be killed, what, what does he do? He went in the house, made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God, the God of heaven, concerning this mystery. Or, again, later on, Daniel, we saw in that third year of Cyrus, when things aren't going well, and, and Daniel is still there, um, by the Tigris River, and what does he do? He, he mourns for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. And, and the, when the um, messenger comes to him, he says, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. Um, so, the, yeah, this emphasis on, on prayer. Um, I remember when I was a seminary student having a discussion, and it's the kind of discussion that um, uh, know-it-all seminary students have with each other, and like, you know, all, all these preachers' applications is that we should pray more. Um, and now, like, it's like, I see how stupid that statement was because we, we, we never think we, uh, I mean, reading Daniel, I, I'm convicted that I don't pray enough and I'm not sure I can pray too much or be encouraged to, to pray enough. Like, so the, you know, 23 know-it-all me is, you know, is still needs to be humbled further, but, um, you know, but realizes, that, you know, the, the folly of that and the power of prayer as, as we see we saw, especially in those later visionary chapters, that Daniel's prayers um, are, um, are tied to these heavenly events, that God hears them and is, is, is sending out spiritual angel, uh, you know, messengers, angels, in response to that prayer. Daniel and his companions pray, and God answers their prayer by revealing the mysteries to them. Um, um, so, you know, the power uh, and necessity of prayer that helps us, you know, when we pray as if there's a sovereign God who hears and can do things, that helps us act as if there's a sovereign God who will help us 
um, as we take these steps in faith. Yeah, that, you know, uh, as soon as Daniel, you know, it was that first, uh, the passage we read was his, in the first round of reading passages, was his response that, you know, he gives, it breaks out into this amazing um, prayer of thanksgiving and praise to, to God who, you know, did something that, um, you know, all the other wise men had declared impossible. <laughs> Nobody can tell you what you dreamed. <laughs> like, like, how are we supposed to do that? That's, you know, nobody can do it. And then Daniel goes to God, and God reveals it to him, the dream and its interpretation, um, and, you know, makes known that, no, there is a God who makes what seems impossible for man, in man very possible. Yeah, John. Yeah, that Daniel, and, and there's this great way that how, how that small act um, in Daniel 1, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. That decision there, again, and that one, it was in a, um, that was the, a less public uh, act. Like, you know, he, he's resolving He's going to the chief steward. Nobody else is going to know that this is happening. The chief steward's worried about it because he's worried it might become visible as, you know, Daniel and his friends lose weight and start to look haggard. And, but Daniel trusts, and, and God, you know, as we saw, you know, um, responded by, you know, um, unexpectedly making them fatter and fitter than everybody else who was eating this other diet. Um, and in those small things, Daniel and his friends are prepared to act. And those bigger things, whether it's the fiery furnace, um, refusing to, um, to bow before this idol that Nebuchadnezzar has set up, or by continuing to pray um, when he was forbidden to, that, that Daniel, you know, these big actions, like it's the small things help prepare for the big ones. Um, small acts of faithfulness um, when nobody's looking um, help prepare us for those more visible acts of faith. Yeah, Ron. Yeah, and, and that, that trust, um, and again, you know, we, we talk about, like, you know, like, trust is, how, how does someone earn trust, or, you know, how is trust built up? And often, like, you know, if you're meeting somebody, like, for example, this week I've been interviewing people for a, a, a job, and so I'm trying to figure out, do I trust these, this person to teach students the history of modern Japan. <laughs> uh, 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 weird example. But, like, but um, there are other people who, like, 
same time, I'm interviewing someone else who has taught for our department before and has gotten good evaluate. Like, so I, I have more trust in that person because you know, it's kind of built up over time. I have more knowledge. And that's what Daniel, again, with this kind of story, it's helping us um, establish that track record of God's actions and faithfulness in the past um, that, that we can trust him in these like, you know, bad situations. And it's something like, um, you know, uh, like if I think about Dana and I's married life, like one of the big challenges that has faced us repeatedly is financial. And, and maybe that's because I spent half our married life in grad school. Um, but, but, you know, that, but every time, like how, how it possibly could we do this? And every time, <laughs> God is taking care of it. So now, like, I'm facing the prospect next year, I'm going to have two kids in college. How on earth am I? I don't know how it's going to happen, but I, I'm trusting that, um, you know, God will make his paths known, and, and he will make a way. Um, and it's the way that, um, yeah, it's our small faith gets built up over time. Um, uh, Augustine referred to it as this kind of cycle of certainty and doubt. The more I'm certain, the, the more it leads to doubt, which leads to greater certainty. And so it kind of like just kind of has this spiral. And that's how we live life, um, kind of on this roller coaster. And it's learning to trust is, is learning to live more evenly um, or contentedly um, in whatever circumstances, um, you know, and it's in this picture of the kingdoms of this earth produce chaos. And so I shouldn't be surprised to turn on the news and to see this party raging or this person, you know, um, uh, you know, clamoring or this nation acting this way, and this person conspiring to do something. That's what God has told me to expect from the kingdoms of this earth. So I shouldn't be surprised. Um, but I, I should also be prepared to live and trust as if that stuff is, is the background um, and what's in the foreground is what God is calling me to do and calling me to act um, in the midst of all the chaos of this earth. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, chapter 8, I think, is the great, uh, is where we saw a great picture of that. One, Daniel is, is prompted to pray by his, you know, reading of the book of Jeremiah. Or, you know, he reads Jeremiah, and that prompts him, you know, we need to repent, like, <laughs> based on what Jeremiah the prophet said. And then within that prayer, you know, he's calling to, 
to, you know, like you're the God who brought Egypt out of captivity. So he is looking back to some of those past acts of God's deliverance to, as, to form the basis of him to pray to deliver his people from captivity now. So that, yeah, absolutely, there's this, the studying God's word, getting the, uh, having the understanding of who God is, what he's done on behalf of his people helps us to act faithfully now, to remember his laws and his commandments and to trust that obeying is his law is better than any kind of um, benefit from compromising with the world now. Uh, Dave, and then we need to wrap up. Yeah, and that's a great, um, that's a great um, verse and reminder to end on because we're not going to go out to go back to Jay's scenario and respond in 100% faith throughout all whatever tomorrow brings, which we don't know what it brings, <laughs> but we know who, who holds tomorrow. Um, and our trust, uh, again, isn't that we're going to be able to faithfully act <laughs> the way we're supposed to, to respond to situations the way we're supposed to. But our trust is in a God who won't let us go um, and who um, cares for us even when we do stumble. And it's through his work that, um, you know, and by his blood shed for us that we'll be washed white um, and, and made clean and stand, be able to stand before God in perfect righteousness. Um, so that's, a, again, this message of hope um, that, that the book presents. Hope for those who, who live in exile. And um, as we close, I kept thinking, you know, because um, I've heard it, you know, listening to Christmas songs, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, um, you know, this, we're, we're in exile here. <laughs> um, you know, this is not our home. Um, we're exiles, um, just like Daniel. Um, and so many of you have said to me over the course of this semester how contemporary this book feels. Um, and I think that's why, because we should live as if we're exiles. Um, we're not, we're sojourners, um, because we're members of another kingdom, not um, a, a kingdom of this world. And we live in anxious hope for the coming of that kingdom. So let's pray. Gracious God, we do uh, pray that uh, your kingdom will come, um, even as we pray it uh, every week uh, in the Lord's Prayer. Um, and uh, it is our uh, hope, and it's that hope that we come from uh, the book of Daniel. Uh, we thank you for how the lives of these um, people have encouraged us to, um, to know who you are, um, to see your sovereign power, the, the superiority of your kingdom to the kingdoms of this world. And um, we pray that your spirit would uh, give us uh, faith in you, that we might um, act and live according to your word. Um, uh, be with us now as we gather to worship you in this coming hour. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you all.